Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where just last week, our investigators had a little visit from an old friend. No, not friend. Clearly not a friend. Uh, but more on that later. So we'd like to begin tonight by thanking all of our patrons and all of our listeners for sharing their time with us. And we really, really appreciate it quite a bit. If you'd like to join our patron, it's at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast. Come join, come do whatever you can to torture and to help our fellow investigators. Uh, so we'll begin tonight with introductions to my right. I'm Mike and I'm playing James Fraser, who is once again having a little bit of a sit down. It's not just the age, right? It's the knee. The knees go. And that's it's just the, yeah, I mean, it's these, uh, these flipping knees, you can't trust them. To Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and uh, someone had the audacity to shoot at me last episode. I'm quite put out. How dare they? The, the sheer gall. The nerve. Right. Uh, at the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and I truly believe someone has cursed my dice. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I do Mr. Griffith's right. Hi, I'm Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger, and I think I don't really need any new friends right now. Mm, no, no. You have the uh, friends that you have around you, and that's probably the safe ones. There's plenty. <laughs> Last but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney, and Richard is about to uh, discover what he can find out about a certain chair. Hmm. Yeah, it's a great point to open our story tonight. The staff of the Orient Express has found a way to um, <laughs> deliver this chair to your cabin. It takes up quite a bit of space. Uh, the space, of course, in the Orient Express cabins is at a, is at a premium. And when you place this chair in here, you really have to have them bring it in backwards so you can look at the section that you want. And the staff does still puzzle at why you'd want it. They're willing to oblige, given your uh, successful persuade role from last session. But it doesn't mean that they don't kind of question why you're doing it. But that said, you have it in front of you and you can inspect away. Right. So Richard is aware that the Duke did something, something unnatural, something that he's not seen before done to a chair. Um, and being the kind of guy he is, Richard is really curious as to what caused it um, and, and whether he can reproduce it. So it's, it looks like an interesting effect. He's thinking perhaps this is his, his um, break for a bit of fame in the science world. Perhaps he can create some new form of travel or 
some new form of cutting implement with this thing if he can only work out what it is. So um, he's going to take a good long, hard look at the chair um, where it's been cleaved by this this rope or whatever on earth it is. So he's, he's going to get sort of down close. He's got a you know some basic scientific tools, so a little magnifying glass. He's going to take a look at the wood, see if he can work out whether it was cut, burned, you know, that, that sort of, you know, we're going to apply his physics and that sort of thing, see if he can work out what happened. Right. Hmm. I suppose. Yeah, what, what sort of science would you like to attack it with? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to suggest he doesn't have anything in chemistry, so it probably need to be physics. Yeah, give me a physics roll. Nope, that's 63. Um, can he really have a very hard look, spend a bit more time, maybe drag the chair a bit further into the cabin, open the window to get some more light on it, um, maybe prop it up on some books um, so that uh, yeah, the, the, the sunlight coming through the window really does shine on it in the, in the best way possible? Sure. Go right ahead and push. So that's 41, so he's going to spend a point of luck to, to make that a success. <laughs> can't spend luck on a push roll. Uh, no, sir. Oh, you can't, can you? No, that's a fail then. It's a failed push roll. <laughs> okay. You delve into this chair. That seems really strange to say. You get up close and personal with it, and you inspect the wood grain, and you get a little frustrated and you bring it over to the light and you cast open the the curtains and and you look ahead on the train line and you see that there's quite a bit of uh snow-capped mountains and you're thinking ah perfect there's far more light coming i'll just pull the chair over a little closer and a little closer and you end up having kind of balance a little bit on uh the windowsill here just to get yourself into the proper position and then as you're looking at it you have to lean down, almost crouch down to get to some of the lower portions of it. And as you do, you hear something snap behind you. And then you hear a dramatic and sudden whoosh as something falls. And then there is a shattering noise. And all of a sudden... Your cabin car is filled with Swiss air, far more than you wanted. Hmm. Uh, Richard will look around and see if he can work out what he's broken. You turn around. One of the windows has fallen out of the sill. <laughs> uh, there is now shattered glass all over your compartment. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, Richard will call for, us for, for some assistance. I'm, ass I'm assuming there might be some just outside. You go uh, just outside your door, and um, there's a gentleman who's standing up now from his seat, who's coming towards you. Uh, Monsieur, is uh, is everything all right? Um, I, I say I, I tried to open the window, and the um, the window pane fell out. I, it um, can't have been affixed properly. Oh, he comes a little closer, looks in. Oh my. Ah, uh, this is terrible. What? What is this? The chair? What is this chair come from? 
I asked for it to be bought here. I'm uh, I'm studying it. It's um it's very interesting. He looks at you a little strange. Look, where the where the wood and he points it out. He looks at the wood. Did did you burn the chair? I'm not quite sure what made that mark. Um I think I'm gonna have you do a fast talk, because that's a lie. You know exactly what burned the chair. Fast talk is not good. Let's use the lucky purple dice because the green ones have been absolutely appalling. There you go. Hmm, 88. No. Hmm. He looks at you a little funny. You're certain that you don't know what happened to the chair? Well, I mean, um, not really. I mean, it was some strange effect with a rope. It was like a magician's trick. I can't work out what it is. He looks a little bit more confused. A magician? Um, uh, did you did you not hear? It was a, a, a large gentleman, a, a duke of some sort. Duke? He looks immediately concerned when you invoke, like, a title. What? What? I ask the other, um, the, 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 the other staff. There were, there were two of you watching him. Hmm. Well, there are many staff members, my, uh, uh monsieur, that, um... Let's get this chair out of here, should we? I mean, it seems to have caused you a bit of a cramped quarters, and, and I'm sure it would be better if it was out here. Let, let me summon the staff, and I'll see about getting your window fixed. Uh, yes. Promptly. Uh, thank you, yes. It would be a little warmer, I think, if um, if that was fixed. Well, well, uh, the, the staff is willing to give you a nice, refreshing uh, travel through uh, the, the Swiss Alps, of course, but uh, perhaps uh, not this refreshing. Yes, they say the air is good, but perhaps not all the time. Mm. He turns around, and then it took two people to get the chair in. He takes it out himself. Like he he <laughs> removes it from the room and sets it outside. And uh, soon enough, the quarters is being swarmed with, you know, men to try to get a replacement window or figure out some fix for this. Someone's cleaning up the glass. It's just an it's an absolute mess. While that's going on. Maggie, just relaxing and trying to enjoy the mimosa or the series of mimosas that you have before arrival Mm -hmm. is punctuated a little bit by a a deep throbbing in your left elbow. Uh Uh-oh. It is returned and returned fiercely. Yeah. Um, I... feel like uh, I should... If I'm not... I'm, I'm imagining I'm hanging out in, like, the dining area mm-hmm. uh go back to my room before inspecting the arm but i i want to inspect the arm to make sure nothing bad has happened to it okay you can take it out of its case in your private quarters and begin looking over and as you turn the arm over and just inspect it you can feel a really unsettling feeling which is every time you turn the arm and you grip it in a different fashion you feel your own fingertips, the pressure walk along mm-hmm. your arm. It's almost mm-hmm. as if the connection is stronger than it was when you picked it up in Poissy. Yes. Well, there's only one person that I know of that knows about me and the arm, um, and that would be Richard. So I would probably head to his compartment to, to let him know what's going on, that it's getting... I don't know if worse is the correct word for it, but uh, stronger for sure. Sure. I would I would say that Maggie can 
work off the theory that the connection is getting stronger for sure. Yes. Which may be worse for Maggie. It might be. Uh, you arrive near Richard's compartment as uh, several men are finishing a bit of a, a swarm on his room. Someone's bringing out a, a, a dustbin, which seems to be laden with shattered glass. And two gentlemen are, are affixing a replacement window. And you can see Richard there probably scratching his head just a little bit. There's a chair. The chair from the dining car is outside his room. It's very strange. Well, is it, though, for Richard? No. Richard, uh, what happened? Were you a attacked through the window, or...? Um... Well, I was examining this chair, and the, the window pane fell out. I can't imagine how it happened, but, um, yes, the strangest of coincidences. It was um, lucky I wasn't closer to the window. Uh, yes, I I hope so, someone didn't, I don't know, set this up to fall on you and cause you harm at some time. Oh, um, do you think it was deliberate? Oh, I, I'm not sure. At this point, I think anything could be possible. We saw a man disappear just earlier. Yes. Um, it's a little cold in here. Did you, um, uh, would you like to get a drink? Um, actually, I think what I have to talk to you about is uh, best talked about in private. If they're going to be long in your room, I guess we could go to mine. Um, yes, yes, that will be, be fine, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, Richard, you, uh, are you taking anything else with you from the room? Um... When people ask those sorts of questions, I feel like I, I need to answer this. Well, I'm asking because there are um, staff members in your room and there are probably certain articles or items in this room that you might not want to leave alone. I think probably the briefcase of cash and the uh, the device. Okay. You bring a couple of you know cases with you and you uh, head on down to Maggie's room. Um. Yes, uh, just inside, Richard. I I need to talk to you about the arm and my arm. I noticed as I was having a, a drink this morning that my I felt a pain in my elbow. And when I returned to my room to take the arm out and examine it to make sure it wasn't broken or harmed in any way, I noticed that I could feel myself touching the arm on my arm. Oh, um... Was it always that sensitive? I mean, I remember that um, we we did some experiments in, in the hotel room and um, we tapped it and touched it and, and, and things hurt. But um, so it was never that bad before. You couldn't feel fingers before. No, I, I don't. I know. I don't remember that I could. And I certainly couldn't feel it being carried around in my bag or jostled as of yet or anything like that. Ah. It's very strange. Uh, there, there must be a connection between your arm and, and, and this other one. I mean, perhaps you could work out a way of cushioning it, maybe. Um, or, or or maybe if we put it in a, a lead box or something, um, it would, would sort of stop the, the connection. I, I don't know. Do you happen to have a lead box on you, Richard? Um, I... let me th No, no, I, I don't think I have anything metallic. Um, I wonder if Simon has something. He, he has a, a lot of cases and boxes. Well, out of everyone else in our group, the first person I thought we'd loop in on this was not Simon. No, um, I, I wonder if the, one of the, um, 
uh, the the train managers, I think they're called. Uh, they they may have something in the kitchen, or um, perhaps we could, or, or maybe a, if they have like a a, a a post or a secure storage area, maybe we could um, maybe one of those is is metallic. Um, possibly. Maggie, you become overcome with a stinging needle sort of pain that runs from the tip of your left shoulder down to your elbow and into your wrist. What? It's a seven on a ten scale. Oh, what is that? Oh, what is that pain? Uh, quick, quick, show, show. Richard, it hurts so bad. It's, uh... Show me the arm. Where, where is it? it, it my ar- the arm? It, well, it's hurting me from the, my shoulder. It's shooting down my to my elbow. Where, where, where is the, the arm? The, the, the model arm? Uh, oh, here. It's right here. I imagine we were already looking at it, but <laughs> my imagination is not always accurate. I'll, I'll get it out. Okay. You go and reach for it, and your brain gives you a flight response to not touch it. You get this sort of proximity... I don't want to do that because my arm, even if you reach with your right arm, you feel like a, a clenching pain mm-hmm. in your shoulder. No, no, I, uh, I don't think we should touch it. I think we should leave it be for now. Uh, well, I let me um, let me examine it. I, I won't touch it, but um, Richard will just take a look at the arm with his eyes, avoiding touching it. Okay, yeah, you look at it. And the design seems about the same as it was before. There hasn't seemed to be any change in the visual nature of it. You have to, you're kind of, again, crouched down, this time double-checking to make sure there's no windows behind you, but you're you're desperate to, to not touch it, but yet examine it, and uh, it's all a little strange, and Maggie keeps tipping forward and, and almost rocking back and forth as as she's dealing with the, uh, with the exquisite pain. I don't know what to say. I mean, it, it looks intact. It doesn't look like it's been hit or damaged in any way. Um, um, maybe another drink uh, would, would would take the edge off. Uh, yes, I, uh, I, I'll, I'm fine with starting there. Richard, why don't you give me an int roll? Hmm. Let's see if we can fail another roll today. Hey, thirty-three. <laughs> That's a success. Um, basic success. Mm, we could spend three points of luck. Let's do that. All right. You spend three points of luck. Hard success. You get up to get her a drink because you figure quick libation might take some of the pain and the edge off. But you realize that in as much that Maggie is in pain, that is, it's not the source of the problem. It's just the symptom. It's It's something that's happening to her. What you need to do is get to the source of the problem to make it stop. And the first thought you have is you need to see what the problem is. And your eyes just don't seem to do the trick. I wonder. Um, perhaps if we were to focus in on this, maybe we could um, use the device and we can... Uh, sort of zoom back on the arm and uh, and see maybe how it's connected to you. I, I think I've learned to drive this thing. Perhaps we can sort of zoom in on it. The inside, as it were. Richard, you may be the smartest person I know, so whatever you think is best that will get this to stop, yes, let's do it. 
I won't need to touch it. It'll, it'll be quite pain-free, I'm, I'm sure. Well, that's something, at least. Um, shall I, shall I lock the door? Yes, that's fine. Lock the door. Okay. Um, right, okay. Um, I, I have it with me. I'm, uh, I... And he'll lay the thing on the bed and get the, get the device out. All right. The device is out. So, implement in hand. You're going to use it. Yep. So what I need to know from you is the question you have to answer every time. Which lenses are you using? I think we're going to go for... I don't have my notes with me. I'm going to say blue and green. All right, so blue and green tiered over on the left side. Yep. Okay, so now you make me a hard power roll. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not going to believe that. I mean... It's a, a zero one. Is it now? It is. All right. So, a one. You bring the mask up to your face, this device that you've fiddled with countless times. And you begin moving the lenses back into position. As you stare down towards the arm, it adheres to your face. Maggie, you see something that you have seen, um, I believe you've seen before. You've seen him put it on before. Yep. And so it quickly clamps to the sides of his face. And you see the left side of his face is bathed in this blue and green, almost somewhat near purple color. It encompasses the entire left side of his face as it churns to life. You get a shock of insight, Professor. You move just a few millimeters that blue lens, and you realize that when you move it in the proper position, you can actually pick out microscopic details of the arm. You can pick out such clean and keen lines that you see that this arm is not made of any metal known to earth. You know it inherently. Uh, and furthermore, the, the green tinged lens that you also have in view gives you a rather shocking intuition, which is this arm has connected to Maggie's being. There is this uh, almost aura that you can see around her. And it is inexorably connected to her at some sort of, you would call it a magnetic level, maybe? Or something to that effect. It's drawn to her. They're connected in some way now. You can see the two energies are commingled now. And so you now know that any hope you have of removing the two uh, could be very difficult. But, and most importantly, you get the idea that if perhaps Maggie had a competing metallic bracelet on that arm, 
it might alleviate some of that magnetic energy that you feel like this arm gives off. Perhaps a copper. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you need to make me a sanity roll. Because insight does not come without a cost. Well, zero five. On a successful roll, it's only a d6. Um, so that's four points of sanity you'll lose. <laughs> Don't fail that roll, by the way. Um, yeah, that is your flash of sudden and somewhat unbelievable insight into this device. You have successfully uh, labeled one lens. You now know what one of the lenses do for certain, and they give you microscopic sight. Richard's quite pleased with this. He's quite tempted to delve a little further, but he's concerned that that might not be the best thing to do. Oh, uh, and then we need to roll one other thing. Because, yeah, spend five magic points. Yeah. Yes. Using this thing as a risky business. Mm -hmm. So, Richard will try and unplug himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Maggie, nothing Richard has done so far other than is to just stare at you and stare at the arm and stare at you and stare at the arm, and then he takes it off. I expected nothing else other than that. He's still in pain, (laughs) and you're like, what is going on? Uh, Richard, did you see anything? Did Did you figure anything out? I, I believe I did. Um, I don't think I was far wrong when I suggested putting the arm in a metal box. Um, if if we can somehow break that connection or um, uh, influence the the connection between the arm and yours, um, I I have the thought that perhaps if we were to put your arm um like a, a bracelet of some sort, um, that might alleviate the pain um, by sort of interrupting the connection slightly. So I just need to put on jewellery to solve this problem. I had the strangest inclination that, um, copper, I I saw this, um, green was associated with it. I think must have been what, um, what triggered that thought. But, um, yes, if we, we could find something copper, um, is there any electric lighting in this carriage? Yes, there is. Excellent. And I want to make mention at this point, given that they have rooms that are relatively close by one another... The walls are reasonably soundproofed uh, for a train, but if Lady Elizabeth is at all coherent, she's probably hearing the heightened voices, Maggie's heightened voice, and then Richard's more lower tone, and then like sounds of distress maybe, Uh, but maybe not. It's a little strange. Something's going on in there. Richard asking if I think we should lock the door. Yes. And... uh... Well, my state of coherency really depends on whether Paul followed my instructions because I told him not to give me something that would make me sleepy. But him being a a doctor uh, might uh, consider that uh, his idea of what the patient needs supersedes my my own own desires. To to be clear, Paul is almost a doctor. He is not yet a doctor. Um, But he would have followed your instruction because you are his employer. And he's seen what you do to people who aren't in your employ, and he doesn't want to potentially cause a problem, so he's going to get beat. 
All right. So if I'm I'm awake, then I'll be recording what happened in my in my journal, and then looking up in confusion and bafflement every thirty seconds or so. And then when I hear Richard's voice getting a bit louder and and uh, so on, I'm, I'm going. We have the adjoining door right between our two compartments. Yes. I'm going to sigh and unlock my side because I lock mine and Maggie never locks her side. Didn't you like barricade before you barricaded the, <laughs> yes. the, the, the door? That, that, that was, was at a different train. But. Yeah, that that was with the one from Paris. This this one I haven't had time yet because of the whole thing with the Duke. So I'm just going to unlock it. I'm going to poke my head in. Miss Bellinger, Professor is a. Uh... Oh my goodness! What are you doing? Everything's fine. Um, nothing un- untoward or anything. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Courtney was, Professor Courtney was merely helping me with the medical matter. I was experiencing quite a bit of arm pain. He's not a medical doctor. Wouldn't you prefer to see Paul? Um, we've asked Paul about it before. Um, he didn't have a lot of answers for us. Is there anything physical on her arm, Mike, that indicates that there's something going on? Because I can't remember if there was or not. I would say that it is fair to say that Maggie's arm is probably a little red. That could be from her gripping it. That could be from the increased blood flow from the pain receptors. It Coming into this and seeing the two of them sitting there in the manner that they are and hearing all the histrionics from before, um, this could be a cover story. Mm-hmm. You're not really sure, um, but it is it's likely that there is maybe something wrong with her arm. Uh, and you do remember, again, Paul looking at it, but if maybe she's experiencing a different pain that only Richard can solve. Yes, well, um, the, I'm guessing the sort of pain the professor could cure is not of the arm variety. Uh, uh, forgive the intrusion. You wouldn't happen to have any... Um, copper jewelry like a bracelet perhaps just about to ask that yes might i inquire as to why it's a very strange request i would like to borrow it uh if you have a copper bracelet please we think that uh i know he's not a medical doctor but um i i think he dabbles a, a little bit in in some of this this mumbo-jumbo kind of medicine, and and he thinks that a copper bracelet, uh, something about it might help my arm. I raise an eyebrow at Richard. Um, What uh, mumbo-jumbo would that be, Doctor? Is there some occult reading you've been doing that uh, talks about the magical healing properties of copper for sore arms? Well, it's sort of a physics, um, chemistry's kind of thing, really. Um, I'm studying the effect of a, a, a lesser reactive metal um, on the skin. There may be a galvanic reaction um, caused by the sweat, and uh, it, it may have something to do with the ions. I've, I've read about it in some journals, but it, it's, it's rather convincing, and I feel it may have a beneficial effect for Maggie. My bullshit detec- detector's going off. Uh, but, but, but... Richard can make a persuade roll. Oh, you're not going to believe that one either. <laughs> Let me guess, it's the green dice, and yep. it's, uh-huh. Yep, mm-hmm. like, 
Well, that's zero two, two and that's really slightly, good. So. Okay, fair enough. So, um, while I'm not a huge fan of um, social combat by any means, this seems fairly fairly low aggression. So, I would say um, I would offer Lady Elizabeth a psychology role as a uh-huh. counter to see if she smells the um, well, <laughs> what the Richard is shoveling. <laughs> Uh, Maggie's just on the verge of spilling the beans at any given moment. <laughs> it's just a little bit of pushover. Yeah, it's a hard success, but that's not good enough with his uh, two, so. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so initially, you don't necessarily agree with the uh, the fundamental idea. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the professor is a learned man, and he knows about all sorts of things, and so you have to mentally leave open a crack in the door that says that he might be onto something. And if she looks like she's in legitimate pain, there's nothing else seemingly going on in this room. So that's probably what they're doing. Maybe it's a little strange, but okay. Yes. Well, if you're going to engage in uh, mumbo jumbo, you might want to do it a bit more quietly unless you uh, wish to alert the entire carriage of your mumbo jumbo, if that's what they're calling it these days. We are fully clothed. I'll see what I have. And I'll go back to my jewelry case. Make me a luck roll. We'll see if you have any copper on you. It's an eight, so I would assume yes. You do, actually. It was a uh, gift from uh, an aunt who uh, was specifically into that sort of thing with her skin tone. Uh, she, She loved the way copper looked. And, uh, well, maybe it isn't necessarily for you. You keep it as a keepsake from uh, memories. So I'll pull that out and go back over to Maggie's compartment and hand it to her. Just uh, don't lose this, please. Uh, or shatter it or whatever it is you plan to do. Uh, this belonged to my Aunt Grace, and I'd, uh, I'd rather not lose it. I'd simply plan on wearing it and hope that it cures what ails me. Mm, yes, I hear uh, whiskey's better for that, but you two seem to be uh, curing each other's ales just fine. <laughs> so we'll leave the three of you there for the moment. Um, Simon, after your uh, toss-up a bit with the ruffians that are now in the, the brig, as you probably would call it, you're getting ready to pull into um, the next stop here. And you're, you're fairly certain, at least from what you've uh, managed to glean from some of the, the traveling companion that you had, that uh, bit of paperwork, that uh, there's going to be a passport check here. Uh, you're also certain of a couple of other things, and that is that you're going to have to get your stuff in order ahead of traveling into Italy because they will check everything in Italy. Passports, luggage... All of it, because it's a custom stop for a nation. So while the train can move back and forth as it likes, the passengers have to be checked. So I would imagine you're probably doing a little preparation for that as well. Going to do that, but I also need to sit down and talk about uh, the scroll and it Mm -hmm. missing. Yeah. So I'd like to get the party together at some point. Well, yeah. I mean, you figure... Lady Elizabeth and probably Mr. Fraser are both a bit laid up at this point. The last time you saw Maggie, she was in the dining car, uh, but she may very well be in the 
in the saloon car getting uh, a drink after what what happened with the the prince i'm going to go talk with lady e first because uh, the scroll was hidden in her belongings i believe or was it in miss maggie the arm is with maggie the scroll the original scroll that wellington gave is in i think in the box right right but where the fake scroll i believe was with lady e's belongings and that's where it was taken from that room yeah, and the fake scroll is obviously gone now. Right, and that's what I was going to tell them about. Ah, go right ahead. Because I was the only one who, I kicked it out and nobody else saw this. So I, I'm trying to let them know. Go right ahead, sir. Lady E, are you available? I've wandered back into my room and this time I've locked and barricaded the door. <laughs> yes, is it? Uh, it's it's Mr. Griffith. Uh, I was just hoping I could have a few minutes of your time. Uh, I need to uh, talk to the rest of y'all, but uh, th- this is about the altercation and earlier. Uh, yes, I, I suppose so. Come on in. Cracked for a moment because I don't want people to think <laughs> anything untoward's happening in here. <laughs> yes, um, you don't want another Losan incident. Lady E, uh, I just wanted to let you know that the scroll is gone. What? The one from your room. You know, you could have said that from the beginning. Well, I'm just trying to say, in the altercation, it went over the train. So, when the time comes and his dukeness shows up again... His grace. His dukeness <laughs> shows up again. We can go ahead and tell him that this girl went over the side while we were tussling with his stooges. And we wouldn't be one. Yes, I suppose. Pardon me for asking this, Mr. Griffith, but are we certain it was the decoy one? Last I checked, most of the stuff was all safe and sound. Did you check to make sure that the one in your trunk was the real one? Because it's entirely possible that they could have taken it out and put the fake one in there so that we wouldn't discover that they'd taken the real one. Well, then welcome to check. I do not speak those languages on the scrolls. I also don't... I don't read much beyond English and a little bit of French. Yes. Oh, do you think it would be better to have a check? Because I know that's what I would do in that sort of situation. But, uh, although considering the quality of the, uh, young ruffians. I'm not sure they would have been bright enough to come up with that idea, but uh, his grace might have given them such a suggestion. It, it's possible, but it didn't look ma'am like they had made it that deep into the trunk, because I think if they'd seen a Tommy gun, they may have been uh, scared um, out of their britches, is a nice way to say. Well, they were. But uh, let, let, let me have a look, just the same. Mr. Griffith, it's not that I don't trust your judgment, but uh, considering the events of this afternoon, morning, whatever it is, I don't even know the time anymore, I would just prefer to be safe. We went through quite a lot to get this, after all, and the Duke seems very intent on getting it back. I wouldn't put anything past him. Looks like we're about 15 minutes out from the next stop. We have time. All right, so let's have a quick look there, and then we know what to tell everyone else. How are your joints, man? Uh, seen better days, but, uh, well, haven't we all? 
Do you need any assistance? No, I'm fine, thank you. She taps her walking stick with a slight smile. Would you like to have that shod with uh, iron or steel next time? Yes, I was rather thinking it might be a good idea. We might be able to do that in Italy. Hmm. Well, it would come in handy for the next time someone tries to shoot me in my own compartment. The nerve. <laughs> and I'll just get up and take my stick. Well, let's have a look, shall we? The sooner we do this, the sooner I can take a nap. You guys head down there to take a look at the scroll? Um, I open up the trunk. Mm-hmm. Please turn around. I have to remove all the other stuff to take care of the, uh, to remove the, the, to reveal what's beneath. Ah, yes. Wouldn't want to go rifling through your things. You get your things set to one side and then properly concealed to be able to get to the false bottom and pull it out. And then I call you over and I hand you the scroll and you see the Tommy gun laid out there all disassembled along with eight sticks of dynamite. Little enthusiastic there, aren't we, Mr. Griffith? Being prepared is being forewarned, ma'am. If we need to blow up any mountains, I'll be sure to let you know. I was thinking of shoving these one, one of these up the Duke's butt. Look on the plus side, he wouldn't be coming back from that, ma'am. Uh, Lady E just, like, raises both eyebrows at the crass, crassness of that remark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's the real American right there. Ah, well. Just a very poetic way of phrasing it, Mr. Griffith. You do have such a way with words. All right, so are you actually going to take the scroll out and look at it? How much time are you going to spend? You've only got 15 minutes before you arrive, so... I'll spend the entire time, I think. It's, it's not like I unpacked anything, so I don't need to repack things. Um, and we're in the same carriage, so I can easily uh, move down the hall when the train stops. Why don't you give me an intelligence roll? Let me ask a couple of questions first. One, what languages do you speak? I have English, Latin, and French. Okay, you're not going to be able to decipher this the scroll itself, but there is some TypeScript you might be able to, and that is in English from an older version. Yeah, that's, that's what I was hoping. Okay. My amp is really high. 17 under 65. Hard success? Okay. Yes. And then a history roll. Which I recently improved. Hmm. So my history is also pretty good. 37 or 55. So regular success. Sorry, I almost, I almost immediately responded in a row when you said 37, <laughs> but I didn't because that's not this movie. Um, yeah, so in the five to 10 minutes that you have with the scroll and this uh, additional piece of TypeScript that comes with it. The scrolls author, it calls himself Sedekfar Aslamani. So you actually pull the name of the author, mm -hmm. which of course rings an enormous bell. It seems that he lived in medieval Constantinople. It's likely that is just from the way he talks in the, TypeScript that there's perhaps a, a crusade era feel to this. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about the 
uh, the coming white destroyers. You get a lot of very um, anti-European flair to it. You're going to have to sit down and actually study it, but this does not look like the cheap fabricated paper that was made to look like something else. The scroll that's in here is likely hundreds of years old, and now the near thought of it sitting uh, between multiple sticks of dynamite is rather shocking. Yes, um, it does appear that this is the real scroll. Goodness. But uh, do you think, Mr. Griffith, once we've uh, disembarked elsewhere, that we can perhaps procure another hiding place or trunk with a false compartment or something. I'm rather unnerved by the idea of this priceless artifact and your sticks of dynamite. Of course we can, ma'am. It's not a problem. I, I assume you use oil on your gun. Uh, you might get oils and things on this uh, valuable, valuable parchment. That's what the scroll case is for, ma'am, but I, I, that's fine. Yes, yes it is. I mean, whatever you want, Lady E. Very well. Thank you for indulging me, Mr. Griffith. We will have to put things back together for passport checks and so on. And I believe we will have to speak to the police at the next stop about uh, this whole, what was that charming word, kerfuffle? Altercation. Ah, yes. I was uh, trying to indulge in one of your local colorful words. Uh, very well. Thank you. The train begins coming to a halt. Miss Fraser, you feel the train starting to lag a bit. It's slowing down. You're coming into the next stop. I think um, when I return to my room, I'll probably want to have given it a, a once over just to see if it was searched as well. Not that not that there is anything um, that uh, is really would probably be of interest to the, the uh, those two lads, um, but just just to make sure none of my personal effects have been tampered with. No, nothing's been touched in here. You everything seems to be quite in order. In that case, I will probably just rest up, knowing that we've got half an hour or so to go until the next station. And when I uh, when I feel the train um, pulling in, uh, I'll start um, getting myself ready and uh, go and uh, go and see if the others are, are ready to disembark. If we are in fact disembarking, in this specific stop, you would not be disembarking because you're going to continue on to Italy. But this is a stop that you have to have passports checked as you leave Switzerland. Um, while I get all, all, all that paperwork um, ready, I'm assuming that I would probably be dealing with Lady Elizabeth's paperwork as well. Um, you would be, and you also get a visit from the Orient Express staff. Uh, uh, yes, yes. They tell you that if you or the lady would like to press formal charges, you'll need to do with the authorities after we stop. I most certainly would. I will. Uh, I suppose we'll need to uh, get off the train in, in order to do that then. Uh, how how long is uh, is the train going to be stopped at the station? Uh, so this stop is about 17 or 18 minutes we have uh, to bring on food and fuel. So uh, I would recommend you make a brief statement and you give them some sort of uh, forwarding method to get in contact with you. If you like, he gestures as you guys are slowing down. You can see the offices of the Express coming up. If you'd like, you can give them the contact information inside for the Orient Express office and they will cable us. 
yes, I think that would probably be the uh, most appropriate uh, thing. Uh, uh, I'll do that, I Yes, yes. So there's a little nagging, a nagging thought at the back of Mr. Fraser's head in that these two young lads, I, I, I'm guessing that the other fellow is, is about the same same sort of age or is he older, younger? Yeah, yeah give or take, probably within two or three years. I'm guessing that, that he has deliberately picked two young, possibly a bit naive and rather desperate young men in order to do this job of work for him. Um, and I'm now starting to to get a little bit concerned about what will happen to them um, when he realizes that they've failed in the task that he's assigned them, especially if he learns that the, uh, the, the scroll, what they will assume is the genuine scroll, has uh, come off the train at some place between uh, Lausanne and the station we're at now. So I think, yes, I'll, I'll want to speak briefly to the authorities um, and um, make the arrangements to press charges for um, uh, larceny and uh, assault with a deadly weapon and uh, whatever else might be uh, appropriate terminology um, in uh, this part of the world, but also to, to warn them that the, the man who's employed them they are very scared of and who is a powerful person and uh, he may seek some kind of retribution for their uh, failure to carry out the job okay yeah I, if if that's the sort of statement you're giving them mm. um, are you naming him specifically oh yes okay i figured you would um so what the authorities at the station tell you is that they they take a brief a b- basically there are two officers one helps corral the two young men they put them in irons there at the station they they effectively lock them to like a rail uh that waits until they get picked up to take take them back to a larger city and uh they the other officer stands there and takes writes your statement as you tell it i'll also try and impress upon them that he will almost certainly use his power and position and privilege to claim ignorance of, of any such activity um, and uh, say that they were acting entirely alone and without his knowledge and he's never seen them before and this sort of thing and uh, that they should take that with a very great pinch of salt and pursue due process of the law in order to um, to actually get to the, the truth of the matter. And, and, and I'll make, um, make it known that he was on the train, he was seen on the train, and then somehow he managed to absent himself from the train. Um, and nobody knows how he did that or where. Even that in itself is quite suspicious. Even if it's a very mundane method, so, you know, he hid in a, a disused, you know, an unused compartment and then slipped off the train when nobody's looking at the station, uh, or he, you know, disguised himself in some way, quite how he would, bearing in mind how large he is, uh, not quite sure. Yeah, I, I think you get probably the biggest eyebrow raise when you, ta- when you tell them that he simply just disappeared or left the train. They don't calculate that very well. That doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah. I'll say to them that, uh, I wasn't there myself, but I've been given to understand by the staff on the train that uh, when they went to look for him after the incident, because there was a, an incident in the uh, dining compartment where he threatened members of uh, my party, and after that, he was nowhere to be found. Very good. They take your statement down and yeah, make of that what you will. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this is a this is a man that 
I suspect is not to be trifled with, mm -hmm. but also he's a dangerous man and uh, not to be trusted. Mm. I want to make as much trouble for him as I possibly can. Yeah, I think that you've probably done that. <laughs> um, you give a pretty full and complete statement in the time that you have. The authorities are happy to take down uh, that. They At the same time, they'll check your passports. Normally, uh, somebody else with the staff there uh, with, with the Swiss police would do it, but they're right there, so he just takes care of it for you. Also say to him that a, a very um, valuable uh, antique was stolen by the, these two gentlemen. Um, and uh, in the uh, in ensuing struggle, it went over the side of the train. Mm. Um, we can we consider it probably lost, bearing in mind that it kind of you know went went out into goodness only knows where at high speed. Um, I want that news to get back to him with the impression that it's the genuine article. All right. Yeah, you put it all in the report. After about seven to eight minutes, you can see that the train is starting to get some of the final stuff ready to take back off to, to get out of station. So you'll have to board shortly. Okay. And I'll, if, if I can have one last word with the, with the two lads or specifically with the lad that I was speaking to on something like that. You get maybe a sentence be or two. Strong, but... be, yeah, yeah. Just be strong, be brave, tell the truth. I'll do what I can for you. Yeah. The, the other gentleman that's there, that uh, the other train robber, <laughs> That's there. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't look very good. It looks like he's still ailing pretty bad from from Simon's punch. Right. Uh, he hasn't still hasn't said a word. I'm, I mean, I'm sure that the, um, the the people who are taking him into custody can see that he needs medical attention, and I'll just kind of leave it to them. So during this time, since Mister Fraser is dealing with your paperwork, Lady Elizabeth, you have been busily, likely reading through what you can. Oh, yes. You're getting the impression that this scroll is not... It's not alone. It's part of a set. And it sounds like it's a fairly intricate set of scrolls that you'll need to find. The one. That's interesting. Sort of muttering to myself out loud without realizing I'm doing it. Sure. Maggie, with the train stopped and a lot of the excess noise away and some of the, the pain seemingly lessened by this copper bracelet that you're wearing now, you can kind of hear from Lady Elizabeth's room, you can hear her mumbling about something almost incessantly. Like she's become a bit obsessed. I will knock on our adjoining door. Uh, Lady Elizabeth, are you okay in there? Hmm? What? Oh. Uh, yes, just, uh, reading. You're reading quite loudly. Oh, am I? Uh, yes. Uh, I always thought of you to be a silent reader and not an out loud reader. Uh, yes, well, I was, uh, trying to make sure I could focus over the noise next door. Oh, oh, it's dreadful if someone's on the other side of you making that much noise. Mm, yes, isn't it? I was just, uh, uh, well, since you were able to help me with the bracelet earlier, I thought uh, it would seem that maybe you needed some some help. This does concern you, actually, so uh, oh. give me a moment. 
and you hear a lot of scraping and, <laughs> and just <laughs> it sounds like furniture being moved <laughs> and it takes a couple minutes before the door is unlocked <laughs> wow well, it must be a, quite a heavy book uh, do come in uh, yes come in uh, yes, you said it concerns me, then. Uh, yes, I've been uh, looking through the scroll, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to make sure it was the correct one that was still here, not the false one. And uh, started reading the, the, some annotations and things. And it quite appears that uh, we've only found the first one of many. Five, I think. It's a little hard to tell. This is sort of complicated and out of order and the person who wrote this seems to have been quite mad. Um, but makes sense. There are multiple mm. parts of the simulacrum. It makes sense. The multiple scrolls. Mm, yes. This is the uh, scroll of the head as best as I can make out. Um, oh. Yes. And there's uh, four more. Um, mm -hmm. And I, as far as I can tell, those are the scroll of the, the belly. I think. Um, something about a skinless one. That's what that one does. Scroll of the legs, which is magic. Yes, I do not like that sound of this. Mm. Uh, scroll of the legs, which I'm most interested in, seems to be about magic. Um, okay. And scroll of the right hand, something for the statue mm -hmm. simulacrum. And scroll of the left hand, which is something about sacrifice, uh, balance, and so on. Um, not quite sure. I'll have to spend some more time with it, and I'll need to learn the language, of course, to read further. But uh, it's really quite strange. Well, uh, yes. Are these complementary in some some sort to the pieces of the... Yes, well, I would assume so. Simulacrum and said something about the skinless one? Uh, yes. Um, some kind of god or something. Um, there seems to be, just from my uh, looking through, there seems to be quite a lot about uh, skinning people uh, throughout this. It's very unpleasant. Very detailed, too. I wonder if Paul would like to have a look at some of these. Maybe I should show him that picture. He would probably have an appreciation of it. Um, hopefully I got the anatomy right. Mm. Yes, but uh, there's skinless one and things of that nature, so we know we have four more. Mm. Yes. Yes, you do keep saying that. Um, and, and that certainly does have to do with me in some uh, s sort of sense The with the I guess the events that were set into motion when we left London, or before we even left. Yes, I thought of your uh, body in the museum. Uh, yes, um, I have. I have even dreamt of reference to the skinless one since then. Yes, so it would seem that all of those events are certainly connected. Uh, but I'm wondering if uh, perhaps the Turkish gentlemen we seem to keep running into are members of this uh, religion, cult, whatever the light term is. Almost certainly, I think. Uh, but the... Yes. Don't seem to be the nicest people. Skinning people like that. 
the train begins to move forward. Oh, huh. Well, everything must have been sorted then? Yes, well, Mr. Fraser is uh, quite excellent at taking care of paperwork. It bores me. There's a knock on the cabin. Maggie, it's on your door. Oh, yes, I'll be right there. Uh, you'll have to excuse me for a moment, Lady Elizabeth. I will go back to my room and then answer my door. You see a man, uh, you see a gentleman in a Swiss uniform. Oh, uh, yes, hello, officer. Indeed. Um, do you have your passport? Uh, yes, I do. I have it right here. He does a cursory examination of your passport. He looks at the writing on your passport and then holds it up just a bit. Mm -hmm. And you see him look back before it and you and then again and then closes it. Mm -hmm. And then with a broad and pleasant smile, he says, have a nice day. Oh, thank you. You as well. Uh, similar checks happen throughout the ride. So some get checked at the stop. Some get checked along the way. And um, the Traveler's Companion actually mentions something like this. It's to vary. It's to make them varied. So that way they people never know when things are going to be checked all the time. Because uh, as the Orient Express passes through multiple countries, uh, it is <clears throat> well known to be rife with people trying to smuggle things to move weapons back and forth or to move people back and forth. So they have to be careful. Um, you'd remember, you would remember that from the travels companion, Maggie. So professor, after your experience with the lens, you're feeling a little bit drained, uh, but not so much that you couldn't continue to tinker with it. And much like any, um, scientist, mathematician, professor, you've unlocked something quite grand. And you know that there are more things to unlock, knowing that that lens does give you this almost microscopic vision. That means the other lenses must do something, right? And so I guess what I want to know is, after Richard has made this eureka moment discovery, what is he doing with all that? So Richard, as always, is going to make copious notes about the whole experience. And there's a point. So he does do this every time. So every time he does a little journey with the, the device, he has a, has a play or a prod. He'll make copious notes about what happens. Now, if he's worked out that the blue lens allows him to sort of zoom in and do some microscopic type uh, viewing of things, it's not very eloquent, but you get the point. He's wondering if he goes back through his notes whether he can determine some other things as well. Are there, are there any other patterns in some of the observations that he's made, especially in light of the fact that he knows now that the blue lens gives him this microscopic view of things? Does that, combined with another lens, does knowing that allow him to disentangle some of the confusion about what the other combinations of lenses that involve blue do, for example? Um, blue is the one that you have identified. Hmm. Um, but... It does lend to a little bit of what you've used the pink lens in the past. Yeah. And you remember, you're going to step through your memory about, and the notes that you have about some of the things you've seen, you've used blue and green and, and pink, and you've kind of used them. You've also used yellow, used that in Poissy. You begin to think that the blue lens and the yellow lens might be almost antithetical to one another. 
Hmm. Just from some of your written experiences. And you're wondering if, well, the, the difficulties you had with your experience in Plessy might be because you transposed the wrong lenses. And you almost got this sort of, uh, maybe a headache of, of some sort because you weren't using them in the right way. Hmm. And Richard does also think back to uh, the dreaming where he realized that uh, Professor Smith was uh, looking for a solution for one of the broken lenses as well. So he's sort of bearing that in mind. What could that be? I think you would be. I think that it would only make sense to you. It tells you a couple things, right? It tells you that the professor boarded the Orient Express at some point. Yes. Although you don't know when. But he's been on the train, and that also means that while he was on the train, he was able to get to the Dreaming. And since he was in the Dreaming, that means that he met Henri Peters, the conductor of the Dreamlands Express. And the conductor there had a vivid memory of who he was, because he remembered him from having the device. And he even knew what the device was called, but he never told you what it was called which means the conductor of the Dreamlands Express knows way more about what you're doing or would be doing in the Dreamlands with it than anybody does. Because obviously you've been unable to talk to Dr. Smith. Hmm. Yeah. So Richard is keen to test some of these theories out. So if he's got a quiet time on the train at any point, he's not sure whether this will happen. Um, he'd be very keen to experiment with another lens. I think he, he would probably focus again on on pink and perhaps understanding what blue does now, uh, maybe combining pink with blue. Um, so there's only one variable involved. The less variables involved, the easier it should be to work out what something does. And he's also very interested in dreaming again. <laughs> okay, so I guess that question would be is, is he going to experiment with the device first or is he going to maybe look at the train's overall schedule for its next stop and then try to work out whether or not he can... Um, Maybe get a nap in before he gets to the next stop. Yeah. So I think he'd take a look at the timetable and work out if it's practical. You're going to pass through very shortly through the Simplon Tunnel. So this is something that the group as a whole would likely be somewhat aware of. And that is, it is a, it's a very famous tunnel that was, that was made for the Express. Uh, and it was finished, I think, in 1903 or 1905. It is, a, it is the longest tunnel through a mountain at this point in history. And so you hit that. Basically, that is your welcome to Italy. That's where Italy truly begins, is past the tunnel. Just looking at the schedule, it's about 9.35-ish or so now in the morning. You should hit Milan by lunchtime or soon after. So you have time. Yeah, so I think Richard would be tempted by this. And uh, yeah, I'm assuming there aren't loads of people trying to run around stealing things. They'd be up for giving it a go. <laughs> I can't guarantee anything, of course. Okay, so we'll we'll put you right there in just before nap time. Lady Elizabeth, I want to come back to you really quick on something. I assume that you're going to continue to spend your time investigating at least the um, English translation because you know that you're not going to be able to read the other one. Yes, as much as I can get. The English translation as is, as is mostly get. written on regular typeset paper. Um, but given the, quite frankly, the, the, the continuing smell from the 
uh, gunpowder that was used in your room. <laughs> um, are you going to stay in here or are you going to maybe go somewhere where you can enjoy kind of the last vestiges of the Swiss Alps? Okay. Or yeah, what's, what's your plan for the next few hours with that? I can take those papers um, without the scroll itself, right? Absolutely. Um, so I'll put those inside another book um, and take that with me to uh, perhaps the dining car um, to have some tea and biscuits and do some reading. Okay. So then I'd probably want to ask, Maggie, are you staying in your room? Or are you going out about the train? Um, You know, it's been a long time. A lot has gone on. Maggie might actually need a little rest. Okay. So you rest down and kind of relax in your room, maybe read a book or sketch some stuff or maybe just do nothing at all. You all know that it's a few hours before you're going to hit Milan. You've got a long ride through Italy still. And you begin to pick up a little bit of a downward grade as you head down towards uh, towards Italy to the tunnel. Your first few moments reading this transcription, it's the best thing you can call it, honestly, are arrested just slightly by the feeling like someone is looking at you. I'll uh, casually sit up, sip my tea, have a look around. You catch sight of a very, a very striking woman across the salon car here. She is um, high cheekboned, exceedingly well dressed. She has another woman with her with a pair of dogs. She's got an almost imperial feel to her. It's very different from everyone else. Is she looking at me? She's definitely looking in your in your direction. And she almost seems to give you a smile of, of acknowledgement. But there is something that hangs on the end of her smile. There's like an extra heartbeat that is just something you're a little unfamiliar with. I will sip my tea. And I will do the sort of raising my cup slightly that in a gesture that could be hello or and acknowledgement of the look or could also be an invitation depending on how one wants to take it. Sure. To be perfectly socially correct. Sure. She has this beautiful green and red, almost paisley coat on. It's very striking. It is not at all common fashion. This is something you have not seen in, in some time, probably since Paris or beyond. It is wrapped in this beautiful black fur in this thick, wide collar. It almost gives her a... She almost pro projects force with it. She has this... I don't know. It's just something about her. And when she stands up to cross the distance between you and her, there's just a... Almost this strange kind of trepidation. And it's not a bad one. It's just, okay, I'm going to meet somebody that's new and definitely different. But yeah, 
she gets to the table and you see that the woman that was with her trails behind her with these two dogs and she nods to you very slowly and then seems to almost turn her palm just slightly up towards the table have a seat she waits just half a heartbeat and the woman behind her pulls the chair out and she sits down believe I've had the pleasure no uh, not yet not I either I am um, she seems to pause for a second and almost trace the room with her eyes you may call me Elena Vlad Marujic. Russian, I'm assuming? She nods. Lady just sort of pauses for a second as if making up her mind. I am Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, but uh, you may call me Elise. Elena is fine. She raises her hand just slightly and uh, one of the service staff comes over and she asks for a cup of tea as you aboard the Orient Express travel uh, to Milan and beyond one in hopes it has grown a, a little cold where I am from seeking the sun I am seeking a change of landscape and perspective that's quite an admirable reason to make a journey most people just seem to want to go and find homes somewhere else with better climate or whatever. It would be very difficult for me to go home. Mm. It is not a welcoming place. No, I would rather imagine not. You will find a happier place. Mm. Yeah. That is yet uh, undetermined. Seems we're to on the train together for a while? Indeed. I should hope that uh, we would have time to perhaps speak at length. Enjoy that. Uh, I have some traveling companions, uh, but they generally tend to be off doing their own things, so I enjoy a good educated conversation. Mm. Well, I can definitely offer you that. Mm. I rather thought you might. Well, um... Perhaps we could have lunch before we make Milan. Hmm. I think I would enjoy that. They have a uh, have it on good authority that um, the staff here can make a reasonably decent meal. Oh, it is uh, good, I think. Even my mother would approve. Hmm. Very well. They bring her tea. Tell me, what are you reading? Just some notes. Uh, I like to research things, you know. Perhaps write about them later. Mm, fascinating. I'm very well read myself. Do you have a favorite writer? Oh, several. Um, I think perhaps, if I'm honest, many of the classics bore me. Ah. Uh, yes, most of them are written by the same type of men. Who want to tell the same type of stories. Either they are little boys that went to war, or they are little boys that didn't get to go to war, and they want to cry about it. Lady E genuinely laughs at that, when she doesn't laugh very often. <laughs> She's like, ah, 
That's a very astute observation. And my classics tutor always wondered why I refused to read Homer in Greek. She rolls her eyes heavily. And you must read in Greek, he says. I was like, well, I don't want to learn Greek. Only boring people wrote in Greek. It's all men stabbing each other and crying over each other. Yes. You see, we have the same type of experiences. She sips When she sips her tea, she doesn't break her eye contact with you. It's a little strange, although not in a bad way. It's just a little strange. Hmm. I prefer Shakespeare myself. Oh. There was a man who knew how to be transgressive. Hmm. I have read some Shakespeare. I don't mind him. Hmm. Who would your favorite be, then? Um, she sits and, and pauses for a moment. I think perhaps... Not Dostoevsky, I hope. No, no, no. The issue with most of the... Russian literature is that it is very bleak. Very, very bleak. And everything is cold, and everything is tired, and worn. And after a while, it just puts me to sleep. Hmm? Do you know how I do not mind? I do not mind your Kipling. Oh, really? All the adventure stories? What else is there in life? Hmm? Hmm? Who wants to sit around and do nothing all day? Don't you want to be on a glorious train going halfway across the world, meeting strange and curious people? Ah, I wish you could have met my father and talked some sense into him. He was of the opinion that uh, I need to stay at home and preferably have multiple children, all boys, and uh, never leave the estate unless they're going to a party. Uh, no, no, I, I believe your father knew my father. <laughs> who is bound and determined before the revolution to make sure that that is what would be my end. Well, mm. it might perhaps be a bit scandalous to say, but it sounds like the revolution worked out slightly better in your favor than it did for most people. Mm. Well, all except for the running for my life constantly, but yes. Well, yes. But all the good things in life come with a bit of danger, I think. I do think that. And when she says it, like, the tone runs around in your ear a little bit, and you kind of have to shake it loose for a little bit. I'm going to return to my cabin and uh, prepare for lunch. Would you like to join me at lunch, of course? Yes, of course. One does work up an appetite, seeking adventure. Wonderful. Marie, she says to the, the lady in... That's next to her. It's basically been standing next to her the entire time. She begins to stand up and the lady pulls the chair out and kind of adjusts the two dogs as they uh, exit your area. She gives you a very polite, um, it's not a bow, it's not a curtsy, it's an acknowledgement and a very brief smile and then turns to go back to her cabin area. Lady watches her go a little bit longer than she normally would, instead of just going immediately back to her papers. Just, uh, interesting. Interesting. Indeed. And so, for our previously wounded warriors, um, Paul would make the rounds with both of you. Uh, and so, 
because you guys would have time, he would work medicine rather than uh, first aid. He's a good man to have in a tight spot. He's succeeded on both roles. Uh, and so, Mr. Fraser, you can recover uh, two hit points. So after him working you over and getting the, uh, the ice and the wrap on your knee, it's beginning to feel quite a bit better, actually. Far better than it before. And uh, Simon, you recover two as well. He asks you to bear in mind that you should stay off that knee. And I think, unless anything, anybody has anything else, Professor, I'm going to make you wait on that nap. I think we have something very special in mind. So on that note, it is time to end. And so thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week when we return with another episode of Horror on the Orient Express. 